0: pretty much one song that brings me to tears and it's that one. So bear with me. I feel like a little kid behind this thing, but I can't lower it. So you're gonna have to. John Newton could best be described as a naval deserter from Her Majesty's Navy. An atheist, a slave trader, stubborn, very disobedient with a vicious explosive temper. His mother, who was deeply religious woman, died when he was seven years old and he was sent to a private boarding school in England where he was promptly kicked out. John's father was a sea captain. John joined his father on his ship at a very young age, learning navigation, sails, and the winds. He spent five years on his father's ship. He later served on many boats, including the Royal Navy, which kicked him out, trade ships, and finally, slave trade ships. John had many harrowing escapes while at sea. He also had many positive signs, and at the last minute, his life was spared. However, it was on the slave ship Greyhound that he had his greatest awakening. Heading back to England, it ran into a vicious storm that really battered the ship and the weary crew. They fought hard to keep the ship together. The supplies were very low, and they wondered if they could survive another day. Finally, they thought they had spotted land, only to realize that it was a mirage. John asked God to have mercy on him, as they were nearly out of food and water. Finally, they saw land, and it was in Northern Ireland. They got a great reception from the people. After examining the boat, the carpenters and shipbuilders stated that the boat would not have survived another day. The Greyhound had not been heard from for 18 months, and they were all assumed lost at sea. Try to imagine being on a small boat with no radio and no one to help you but God. John finally became the captain of his own slave ship. A plot was uncovered to overthrow the ship's captain by the crew. The ringleaders both became sick, and one died. The mutiny failed. In the verse in Amazing Grace where he writes, Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. He was speaking not only of his previous trials, but of this danger as well. Because of the grace that changed John's life, he made six attempts to become an ordained minister. Finally, at the age of 39, he became a parson. He wrote what is considered the most famous hymn of all time in 1779. The lyrics tell the story of a God who redeems even the most wicked of sinners with his grace and mercy. John, like many of us in this room this morning, was living proof that God's grace is truly amazing. What is grace? What is it about grace that causes the changes detailed in the life of John Newton? What is it about grace that is so amazing? I want to take some time this morning to look at that. If you have spent more than a few moments in any church around the world, any Christian church, you would have heard the term grace being bantied about. As a matter of fact, grace is mentioned somewhere around 150 times in the New Testament alone. Grace is mentioned in the New Testament more than wealth, wisdom, heart, joy or forgiveness if it is mentioned as much as it is then we can make the assumption that it's something that God really wants us to understand and something he's really trying to tell us so that brings us to the question of the morning what is grace and why is it so amazing to get a complete picture of grace we need to start from the very beginning God created man in his perfect image. God and man existed in perfect harmony with each other. Man was given a command to never eat from a certain tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Man was tempted by Satan, disobeyed God, which is what we call sin, and ate from that tree. This solitary act drove a wedge between God and man. Man was no longer allowed to walk in the presence of a perfect God. Man would now be judged from that day forward. Man could no longer roam where God was because a perfect, holy God could not allow it. Sin and judgment now ruled the day. Now, with man being sinful and worthless and God being holy and perfect, something has to occur. To appease the wrath of God. A sacrifice of innocent blood is now what is required to pass God's judgment. Jesus, as the Bible tells us, was sent to the earth to live a perfect, sinless life and die on a cross as that sacrifice. If we accept the sacrifice of Jesus, we are able to walk in the presence of God for eternity. Grace is the word we use as Christians in an attempt to describe what I just described in a one-word answer. Grace. But I'm here to tell you this morning that grace is so much more than that. The first thing we learn is grace is God's unmerited favor. God's unmerited favor. Romans three twenty-three to 24 tells us, For all have sinned, All, not some, but all, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So grace is God's unmerited favor to us. A.W. Tozer puts it this way, and I like this a lot. Grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits on the undeserving. Now you have to understand A.W. Tozer was at the turn of the century and he uses words we don't use today. So I will repeat that. Grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits on the undeserving. I want to put this in simpler terms for you if I can. Grace, simply put, is getting something you do not deserve. That's what grace is. Before we came to Jesus we were sinners. Sinners are not capable or worthy enough to stand in the presence of God. Sinners deserve to spend eternity apart from God. God shows his grace to us by giving us the chance of eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. We deserve death. We receive life. That is unmerited favor from God. We deserve death, we receive life. But grace is more than just unmerited favor. Grace is also favor shown to us by God. John MacArthur, the leadership guru, puts it this way. Grace is not merely unmerited favor. It is favor bestowed on sinners who deserve wrath. Showing kindness to a stranger is unmerited favor. Doing good to one's enemies is more the spirit of grace. A real-life application this would be as follows. And in this application, we're also talking about mercy, which a lot of times grace and mercy go hand in hand. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting something you do deserve. Let's say you're speeding down the road because you are late for church. Not that any of us are late for church, but let's just say you are. A police officer, which we have some in here, pulls you over for going 15 miles per hour over the speed limit. It doesn't happen, I know, but... Just bear with me. He gets your info and heads back to his car. You are caught, right? There's no excuses. You can't say anything. I mean, he caught me. His little radar doesn't lie. The law says 60, but you were doing 75. What do you deserve? You deserve a ticket. Grace, along with mercy, would not only keep you from getting a ticket, But it would be the officer coming back, telling you, I'm not going to give you a ticket. And then the officer hands you $50 and says, be safe, have a good day. (laughs) Guys, honestly, that's grace, right? You don't deserve $50. We don't deserve the grace and love of God, but he gives it to us anyway. That's what grace is. Don't ask the officer for $50 if you get pulled over, by the way. (laughs) The pastor at the church said, you give us $50. (laughs) That would be totally and completely unmerited, right? You get pulled over for speeding, you leave with $50. Grace is exactly that. Totally and completely unmerited. We could end this whole discussion of grace right there. Getting unmerited favor from God is great. What more could I ask for than that? But as you know, we serve a God who loves to shower us with blessing. And grace is more than just God's unmerited favor, as we're going to learn here in a minute. As you guys know, in America, and mostly in modern culture, we live in a reward-based society. We understand this idea that if we work hard or do what we are told, we will be rewarded in some fashion. If I study hard, if I work hard, I'll get an A. If I do my job, if I give the extra effort, I will get paid and maybe get a bonus, maybe get a raise, however it works. But we understand if we work hard and do something, we will get rewarded. We are also just skeptical enough to know that if, that free does not really mean free. There's always a catch, right? Come, we'll give you four days and three nights free at this hotel. You just have to sit through three hours of us trying to sell you something. So we understand that free doesn't always mean free. God, however, and thankfully, does not use the human reward system of do and be rewarded. God has a completely different way of pouring His blessing out on each and every one of us. Grace is that outpouring of God's blessing. Not only is grace unmerited favor, but is delivered to us in a way in which we cannot wrap our minds around. Grace is not earned. Grace is given. And that's something we cannot understand. This is completely opposite to what we are used to in modern culture. This is another reason why grace is such a mind-blowing concept. There is absolutely nothing we can do to earn the grace of God. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8-9. to nine. For by grace you are saved through faith, And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not from works so that no one can boast. Grace is a gift from God. And you cannot earn it. You cannot work an extra shift and earn the grace of God. You can't work that extra two or three hours. You can't see that extra customer, that extra patient, and earn more grace. You can't clean up your life or clean up your habits and earn more grace. Grace is a gift, plain and simple. Grace is what God is all about, and therefore it can only come from God. Grace, praise the Lord, is also non-discriminatory. God does not care if you're a pastor like me or if you're a congregant like you guys. I don't get more grace than you do. We each get the same amount. It does not matter to God if you live in a mansion or if you live in a hut. You do not have a better chance at grace if you are rich, popular, beautiful, or an American. Grace cannot be earned, grace is given as a gift. That gift, as we discussed, is the person of Jesus Christ. You receive the free gift of grace when you accept the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and Jesus made for me on the cross. Because of God's unfathomable love and the sacrificial willingness of his son Jesus, we are able to receive a gift like grace. So I want to ask you guys a question this morning. If grace is so amazing and we do not have to do anything to earn it, why do we have such a hard time accepting the grace of God? And there's a lot of us sitting in this room right now that have a hard time accepting the grace of God. I think it's two things. One is the fact that we can't wrap our mind around this idea that we can't earn it. And the second one is that we don't feel like we're worthy of it. Yes, God, you give grace to him, but not to me because I'm much worse than he is. Our pride gets the best of us. And we begin to think that we can earn this measure of grace for ourselves. Because I don't feel like I'm worthy to receive it. I'm gonna do everything I can to earn it. We begin to decide on our own what we think we can do to earn the grace of God. I think if I teach Sunday school, I think if I do this, I'm going to earn the grace of God. So what does trying to earn grace look like? Earning grace is anything that we try to do under our own power for our own edification in the attempt to impress God. Anything we do that tries to impress God is is us earning grace. Earning grace means we serve for selfish reasons, not kingdom reasons. Earning grace means we love ourselves, not love others. Earning grace causes us to forsake God's word and God's people because we are too busy trying to earn the grace of God. I don't have time for these people, God, because I'm earning your grace. Many of us in the ministry can fall into that trap. It is for these exact reasons that God holds the keys to grace, right? He doesn't want you working yourself to death to try and earn it when he can just give it to you. When we understand that grace is given, not earned, we are free to live in the love and mercy that God's grace represents. I don't know about you, but this grace thing is looking a whole lot better to me right now. Now that we have discussed. Briefly, I admit, I mean, you can spend hours and hours and weeks and weeks on grace. I'm trying to do it in 30 minutes. What grace is. I would be remiss if I did not get into the aspect that truly makes grace amazing and the thing that he wrote this, the song about, what grace actually does. I want to start with the story of David Berkowitz, who some of you might know. Those of you who are young will not know. It's the son of Sam Killer, and I am by no means... You know, I'm sharing the story because this is the story of God's grace. This isn't the story of, of whether he's right or wrong. He's absolutely wrong. It started in 1978. He was sentenced to life in prison for murdering six people in New York City. Basically, he said that the neighbor's dog told him to murder a bunch of people. So he went out randomly in the park, I believe a central park, and shot six different people, killed them. He's had to serve six consecutive life in life's terms in prison, so it's somewhere around 360 years of prison. David, in his own words, was under the control of an evil force. He was one of the most disgusting human beings on the planet. He deserved whatever punishment he got in the eyes of humans, and in the eyes of humans, he was worth less than nothing. God, however, in his grace, looks at things differently than humans do. And I'm going to share the story. This is in David Berkowitz's own words. One night I was reading Psalm 34. I came upon the sixth verse, which says, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all of his troubles. It was at that moment in 1987 that I began to pour out my heart to God. Everything seemed to hit me all at once. The guilt from what I did, the disgust at what I had become. And late night in, in my cold cell, I got down on my knees and I began to cry out to Jesus, Jesus Christ. I told him that I was sick and tired of doing evil. I asked Jesus to forgive me for all of my sins. I spent a good, night, a good while on my knees praying to him. When I got up, I felt as if a very heavy but invisible chain that had been around me for so many years was broken. A peace flooded over me. I did not understand what was happening, but in my heart, I just knew that my life somehow was going to be different. More than 11 years have gone by since I had that first talk with the Lord. So many good things have happened in my life since. Jesus Christ has allowed me to start an outreach ministry right here in the prison where I have been given permission by prison officials to work in the special needs unit or with men who have various emotional and coping problems. I can pray with them as well as read the Bible together. I get the chance to show them a lot of brotherly love and compassion. I have also worked as the chaplain's clerk and also have a letter writing ministry. In addition, I, the Lord has opened ways for me to share with millions via TV programs and articles like this one. He, um, just a sidebar to the story, he, uh, actually the prison officials told him that it was because of such of an extreme change that he had in his life, there actually might be a possibility of parole. And he said, I don't deserve parole. I deserve life in prison for what I did. But secondly, I believe the Lord has me here for a reason. He has brought what they've estimated somewhere around 10,000 people to Jesus Christ through his ministry in his prison. On another note, and this is the bad side of this thing, he says he gets letters every day from Christians like you and me saying, if you're going to heaven, I don't want to go to the same heaven that you go to. Because they find it very hard to believe that the grace of God covers him just as much as it covers us. Grace does not care who you were. Grace only cares about who you will be. So this brings me to my last point about grace. Grace changes things and changes people. Romans 6.14 For sin will have no mastery over you because you are not under law, but you are under grace. I want you to take a minute to wrap your mind around that. Sin will have no mastery over you because you live under grace. The things that got you before you accepted Jesus cannot get you now because you live under grace. Grace changes our lives in a way that is unimaginable. And that is the power of the grace of God. Think about it. A convicted murderer six times over is now winning people to the Lord in a vibrant prison ministry. Only grace can do that. A slave trader and self-admitted horrible man was transformed into a pastor and a writer. Only grace can do that. Grace can take someone who is blinded by pride, deception, and sin And open their eyes to see the limitless possibilities of serving God. Grace can find a person who is completely lost in the world. Grace can take a man who zealously slaughtered Jews and make him one of the most influential Christians in the Bible. What has grace done for you? I think I actually have that question on your thing, too. All right. Uh, I'm going to lose it, just so you guys know. Enough about David Berkowitz. I want to make this personal. I'm going to share, share what grace has done for me. I've shared with some of you the financial struggles that I've had in the past. Well, it all came to a head in February of 2008. I find out that we, and when I say we, I mean me, we're going to lose the house that we're living in. And I found that out just a couple of days before I was to go on my walk to Emmaus. Which walk to Emmaus is, is basically Trace Diaz. They're all very similar. They're just put on by different organizations, but it's the exact same thing. There is a point in the walk, and I don't want to describe too much because some of you I know are not going to be doing Trace Diaz. There's a point in the walk where you get alone with God and you pour out your heart to him. They just give you time just to be alone with God. (laughs) I began to share my heart. I began to share my disappointment and my shame. I began to share with God and tell him how unworthy I was. I was so broken before the Lord that I could not not even lift my head to look at his cross. I was filled with too much shame. And that's when it happened. That's when God poured his grace out on me. And one of my favorite verses is in the Bible when Jesus gets baptized and they put him down and bring him back up. And from the heavens, you hear, This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. In my darkest moment, full of shame, full of grief, full of despair, I hear God tell me, This is my son with whom I am well pleased. How could that be? I felt like I was a horrible husband putting my wife through a repossession I was a failure as a father for not providing a home for my children I felt like I was a sham as a minister I was a youth minister at the time I felt completely worthless and like a complete disappointment and yet God was well pleased with me that is why grace is so amazing because it's not about me. And it's not about what I've done or who I've been. It's about God who loves me. It says, from before time began, Joe, I knew you'd be preaching on September 7th, 2014. And I knew you'd be preaching a message on grace. And I don't care. (laughs) That then you couldn't handle money, because I know now you can't. And I don't care then that you were lost in sin because I know now you're not. And I don't care then if you felt you were worthless and unworthy and not worth anybody's time or not worth anybody's effort because I know today that you would be and that you are. And guys, that's why grace is so life-changing and why grace is so wonderful and why grace is so amazing and why I am so glad that God's the only one who can give it to us. Because if I were to lay my resume before man and say, this is what I've done, this is who I was, these are the sins I've committed, these are the mistakes I've made, hey, what do you think? I wouldn't be treated by man the way I'm treated by God. And you guys wouldn't be either. We're gonna close since Amazing Grace is, is one of my most favorite songs of all time and I suspect for you guys it is as well. We're actually gonna play the Chris, the Chris Tomlin version. Feel free to stand, sit, kneel, pray, whatever you need to do. After the song is over, I'm going to close in prayer. We're going to go from there.
1: first believe A mm-hmm. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear.
0: Heavenly Father, God, we, Lord, don't understand completely what your grace is, Father. We are so used to living in this world which says you deserve what you get. You deserve what you earn. And Father, we live that way. Father, God, so many days we wake up and we don't feel worthy. And when we go through the day, we feel unworthy and things happen. We get to the end of the day, we say, like, I deserve that day because I'm unworthy. Yet, Father, you look down from heaven and you say, this is my son and this is my daughter with whom I am well pleased. And God, we don't understand that. How could you look at me that way, Father? I disappointed my family. I disappointed myself. I disappointed people in the world's eyes how could you tell me that you are pleased with me and it's because on that April morning in 1995 or 96 father I gave my life to your son Jesus Christ and it was from that day moving forward that I became worthy of your grace that's the same for the people in this room this morning father god that day that they gave their heart and their life to you lord was the day that you gave them your grace father and you continue to give it to us in abundance and so father we praise you for that day i praise you that when you look at me you look at me and see someone who is victorious you look at me and see someone who's strong you look at me and see someone who's worthy even though I may not think of myself that way. And it's because of your grace, Father. And so, Lord God, if there's anybody in here who hasn't taken that first step, they've been trying to earn it, trying to earn it, trying to earn it, trying to earn it. Help them understand that they can try until they're blue in the face. They can try until there's no skin left on their fingertips. They cannot earn your grace, Father. But all they have to do is sit down and come before you and say, Father God, I know that I am a sinner, Father. Father God, I know apart from you, I cannot get to heaven. But I know that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for me so that I would have a way. And in that one solitary act, Father God, you pour out your grace on us. And so if that's you this morning, I pray that you do that. And come see one of us after, and we'd love to talk to you about it. There's some of us in here who I believe ha- have accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, yet we're still daily trying to earn the grace of God because we don't feel like we're worthy enough for him to give it to us. And since, God, you're not going to give it to me, I'm going to earn it. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to listen to nothing but worship music. I'm not going to cuss. I'm going to watch the stuff that I watch. I'm going to watch what, or pay attention to what comes into my ears and what goes out of my mouth. And all God is saying, just let me shower you with my grace. Just open up your heart and accept it. That I love you despite yourself. And I love you despite what you've done and despite what you're going to do. And just let me pour my grace out on you. And so, Father God, we we are overwhelmed, Lord. and, And I thank you for just... Helping me try to get through this thing, Father God. It's tough when when I have to begin to share about myself. And I pray that what you needed them to hear, you gave them in their spirit. Because my words are just human words anyway. But God, I do pray that when we leave this place, we leave with confidence. We leave with this understanding that I have a God who loves me no matter what I have done, loves me no matter what I'm going to do today, and yes, he even loves me no matter what I'm going to do tomorrow. And I'm going to represent that, God, with everything I have. So, Father God, we love you. We thank you. And we just praise your name. So, in your holy and precious name, we pray. Amen.